If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can find it printed for you in your bulletin, or you can find it on the screen behind me uh, this morning. We are studying this fall the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and specifically looking at the life of David. And we're trying to trace this theme uh, through our study of basically ordinary uh, spirituality. What does the normal Christian life look like? Eugene Peterson kind of describes the life of David as earthy uh, spirituality. And basically what he means by that is that, yes, David is a king and he's different than us, of course. But on the other hand, he's a real person, just like us, who is struggling to love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's struggling to be a man after God's own heart. And next week, we're going to look specifically at the fact that David needed friends. We're going to look at his relationship with Jonathan and how Jonathan and his relationship with him was absolutely necessary in order for David to grow. This week, however, that's next week. This week, we're going to see that David was also not only a man that had great friends, but he had some really big enemies as well. And I think you'll see what I mean as we read our passage this morning. So this is God's word. Follow along with me as I read 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 16. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry, and this this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David. 
for he went out and came in before them. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and help us with this passage this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Uh, This is a hard word, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be good and pleasing to you. I need your help this morning, and would you take this word and drive it deep into our hearts to reveal more of what's deep down within us that we don't like to talk about. And Lord, I pray that as we see that, we wouldn't be in despair. We would actually be pushed to the Lord Jesus and his grace and his power to change us and sanctify us and make us new. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 2005, and it was a high school in Illinois, and some of you might remember this story. It's an old story, but it's a shocking story, and it made all sorts of headlines and national news when it was going on. The story of Adrienne Reynolds. Remember, she was an outsider, and her family had moved to Illinois, and she was new in the high school, and she had instant popularity. She was very pretty, and so she got lots and lots of attention, particularly attention from the guys at the school. There was another girl by the name of Sarah Kolb, and Sarah Kolb was the pretty girl that had all the attention. She was the popular girl in school until Adrian Reynolds moved to town, and now that that was taken away from her, she is absolutely furious. She's angry. Anger has anger bubbling out of her from the inside. And she goes uh, to some of her friends and makes the comment, I want to kill this new girl that's at our school. And her friends, of course, were like, whatever. She's not being serious. That's not a serious threat. And then a few days later, Sarah Kolb is hiding out, waiting for Adrian as she's walking home from school. And she jumps her, pins her down, and strangles her with a belt. And Adrian Reynolds dies. Sarah completely freaks out and tries to cover it up and gets her friends involved in covering up this horrific crime. They're eventually arrested, and they're all now serving a life sentence. But here's the thing, as awful and shocking and horrible as that story is, and you hear this all the time, those things happen every single day. And we hear those things, and oftentimes in the news media, this is what you'll find this same sort of reaction, but it's the thing that sobers me. It's the thing that kind of wakes me up when I read something like this. Listen to what some of the people said in this, uh, around this story. One person said, she'd been my friend for many years. I had no idea she was capable of doing such a thing. Another friend said this, she was so respectful to my family, we loved her. I don't know what happened, something snapped, and I don't really understand. One more said, Sarah was really nice. She got along with 
everyone in the school. And then suddenly Adrian came to town and things were totally different. How in the world does that happen? How does someone going from being well-liked, normal, easygoing, respectful to a monster that no one recognizes? How does that happen? One word. Envy. Jealousy. Isn't that exactly what we see in this passage with Paul? You see, the story of Adrian Reynolds and Sarah is 3,000 years old, isn't it? Because it's the exact same thing we see here. Saul is this normal guy. He had his issues, of course. But he actually liked David. He wanted him in his army. He said, who's, you know, at the end of 17, whose son is this? We need him. And then all of a sudden, David is the new kid at school, so to speak, that's getting all the attention. And actually, he's getting the praise from the women, isn't he? They're singing songs about him. And something snapped in Saul. Envy and rage and anger filled his heart, and it turned him into a monster. See, if last week was the topic or the theme of courage, this week the theme we see in this passage is envy and jealousy. You see, envy is one of those things that we don't talk about very much, is it? I mean, think about it. No one admits that they're envious and jealous. When's the last time in your kingdom community or small group that someone has raised their hand? Normally they say, well, you know, pray with me. I've got this really big business deal and pray that I would uh, get the sale. When's the last time someone has said, pray for my heart? Because there's this new person at work and they're killing it. And now I'm the low man on the totem pole. And if I'm really honest, I want them to go away so that I can be on top again. In my over decade of doing campus ministry, I never once had a student sit down and say, I'm really struggling with jealousy and envy. But all day long, they would sit down and say, I struggle with lust. Or I have a really bad temper. Or I'm clingy to other people and it hurts my relationships, or I'm really lazy and I know I need to work harder. No one has led with, I'm a jealous person. But here's the truth and the reality. Every single one of us in this room, me too, pastors big time struggle with it, struggle with envy and jealousy. And we just don't talk about it. And you know why we don't talk about it? Because it's really sinister. It's really dark, and it's really ugly and twisted. What an opening, right? (laughs) Sorry. Listen, I know this is not fun to talk about. It's not fun for me to talk about. But you know what? We need to talk about it. It's here in this passage. And listen, friends, if we don't deal with envy and jealousy inside our own heart, Jesus wants you to be like him. And if we never deal with this, and talk about it, and understand it, it will lead you into becoming a person that you never thought you would be. It will dehumanize you in a heartbeat. And so this morning, we are going to talk about envy, and we're going to hopefully understand it better, and see how we can be healed from it in our own hearts. And so three things, if you're a note taker, what is envy? What envy does to us? 
And thirdly, what's the cure for envy? Let's look at number one. What is envy? Look at verses 6 and 7. They're returning home from battle against the Philistines. And David, to put it in our terms, today is the story of David and Goliath has gone viral. He's got a... There was someone there with an iPhone, because if you don't capture it, then it didn't happen, right? And so someone's there with an iPhone, taping this whole thing go down with Goliath, and this thing has a million hits on YouTube. Overnight sensation, overnight celebrity is David. And so they're coming home, and there's a parade of sorts, a victory parade. They're celebrating the troops, and these women are singing victory songs. And look at what they say, Saul has struck down his thousands. But David, his ten thousands. Look at verse 6. Never noticed this before until this week. All the commentators make note of it. They came out to meet, verse 6, David. No. They came out to meet Saul. And so the women in this song was not meant to be political. It was not a dig on David. It was not... In order, it was not an effort to put him down. It was not a slight against him. The song that they were singing simply meant this. Saul's killed a lot of people, and David has also killed a lot of people. But that's not how Saul hears it. He starts to overanalyze the lyrics of this victory song, and he takes it as a slight and does what we do. Boy, I do this. He takes what they're saying and turns it and twists it into the worst possible thing. And it fills him with envy and pride and anger, and he loses his mind. That's why we're told in verse 8, look at verse 8, they credited David with ten thousands, but me only thousands. What's next? Is he coming for my kingdom? You see what's happening here? David was the man. And Saul was not. That's what he was thinking. David is trending on social media. Hashtag David and Goliath. And I'm not. David has women singing these great songs about him, and I don't. I'm losing my popularity. And see, Saul becomes jealous and envious. And look at verse 9. You ever heard of the term jealous eye? Look at verse 9. He kept his eye, a close eye on him meaning that he glared at him through the eyes of envy. And for the rest of the book, read it. What does Saul try to do with David? Kill him. He tries with everything within him to get rid of David. And see, Saul for us is a very clear picture of what envy does in our hearts. What is envy? It is seeing what someone else has, And seeing that thing, and you desperately want it, and you're willing to do anything in your power in order to get it. How does envy work? How does Saul get to where he is? Think about it. At the end of chapter 17, again, he's singing David's praises. I need this guy in my army. And so what happened? Well, very simply put, he wanted a good thing way too much. Popularity. Successful. It's okay to want to be successful in his military uh, endeavors. Power. He wanted Israel to be powerful. But you see, all that changed when that good desire actually became a demand in his life. 
It became a demand. It became the thing that he had to have. It became his identity and the thing that defined him. And when a good thing like that gets blocked or it gets threatened in some way, then it pushes Saul, just like it pushes us, right up right up over the edge. You see, envy at its root exposes the deepest and the darkest desires of our hearts. So my question for you and for me this morning is, what is it for us? What is it for you? And I know some of you are looking at this story saying, Jason, no way, this is not me. This, this Saul guy is crazy. I mean, he is hurling spears at people. He is off his rocker. He's totally lost it. Listen, friends, it might not express itself in the same way that we see here in this passage, but you know what the Bible says? That the seeds of this sin of envy reside deep inside the human heart. Galatians 5.21, the deeds of the flesh, strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, and envy. Mark chapter 7, Jesus, that you say, well, that's Paul. Well, Jesus says the problem's not out here, the problem's actually in here. And he starts uncovering the heart in Mark chapter 7, verse 22. And he says, out of the heart comes And he has this really long list to where you're like, whoa, stop, please. And in that list, he says sexual immorality, coveting, slander, pride, and envy. Think about it this way. Let's suppose I get really excited up here. That could happen. And I turn around and I knock this glass of water that's behind me on this table. Let's suppose I were to knock it over and water were to go all over the floor. Why would there be water on the floor? Think about that. I know that's a really deep question for 8.15 in the morning. But why would there be water on the floor? Because I'm clumsy? Or because gravity is pulling it down? Why would there be water on the floor? There's only one reason that water is on the floor. Because water was in the glass. That's the only reason. See, when we bump up against things in the world and our circumstances and life squeezes us, those things, they can't put water in the glass. They only reveal what is already there deep inside of us and squeeze it out of us. They reveal what is already in our hearts. And so could it be this morning that we're not Jonathan and we're not David in this story? but actually that Saul is a picture of ourselves. Because you see, when we get something that presses up against us and threatens something that we desperately want or something in our life gets blocked and we get angry, we do exactly what Saul did with the people around us and say, it's their fault. We always point the finger outside of ourselves and that's what Saul did. He did not see that he was actually the problem. Because the Bible says our biggest problem is not our circumstances. It's that the jealousy and the envy that resides deep in our hearts. It's things on the outside that press in on us and turn up the heat and actually reveal what is already deep inside. I have a friend a few years ago, he has young children. When his son was four, it was around Easter. And Easter means what? Lots of candy. It means Easter baskets. 
and it means my personal favorite, chocolate bunnies. And so his son had already had tons of candy, and it was time to eat the chocolate bunny, which is what he wanted the most. And his father said only gave him half of it, so they cut like off an ear and said, you can have the rest later. Well, four-alarm meltdown with this young kid. You can imagine. I want the chocolate bunny. Completely melts down, run back, is running back to his room. You can hear him crying throughout the whole house. His father walks back and says, son, is it wrong to want the chocolate bunny? His son goes, yes, daddy. It's wrong to want that chocolate bunny. His father said, no. It's not wrong to want the chocolate bunny because chocolate bunnies are good. And they're meant and given to us to be enjoyed. He says, but what happens, son, when you want a good thing too much? His son looked at him without missing a beat and said, I get ugly, daddy. So what is it for you this morning? What are the things that when threatened or blocked in your life cause you to get ugly? What are the things... Uh, the desires, good desires that have become demands in your life. What is the good thing that you want too much? See, that will reveal envy and jealousy deep in your heart. Secondly, what envy does? Well, it's obvious that it dehumanizes and eats us away from the inside out. But what else it does is it destroys all of your relationships. It destroys a true and life-giving community. Think about Saul. He was the king. Think about what he had going for him. He was a warrior. People liked him. But it wasn't enough. He had to be more popular than David. He had to have more glory and be more successful and get more credit. Look at verse 8 again. That's exactly what makes... Saul snap. He was constantly comparing himself to David, and it made him insecure and a miserable person. It's been said that pride is the father of envy. Pride is the root of envy. Why is that the case? It's because envy always compares. Pride always compares. Everything is a competition. And I love C.S. Lewis here in Mere Christianity. It's a pretty famous quote. You've probably heard it, but it really gets at this. It says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only pleasure out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer, of being more clever. Or being better looking. You see, it's the pleasure of being above the rest. Friends, envy will kill your community. It will destroy your relationships because it's competitive. And you're always comparing yourself to other people. Instead of really loving them for who they are, you see them as competition. And you say, just like the Lewis quote, I've got to be richer. I've got to be in better shape. I need to be better looking. I need to be a better parent than than that person. Or I've got to be more involved in the schools than that mom. Or I've got to be more involved in the church than that person I know. See, envy kills relationships because everyone suddenly becomes a threat to you. 
And it's hard to really love people when we see them as competition. And when people become a threat and envy sets in, deep down in our heart, we want to remove them in some way, shape, or form because they are keeping us from getting what we desperately want. That's what we see in Saul. Look at verses 10 and 11. David is a threat. And so he wants to pin him to the wall with a spear. And he thinks he does it twice. He is trying to remove or demote David in some way. He sends him off to battle. And listen, I know the temptation here is to dismiss this and say, Jason, I would never do that. Well, you realize there are more ways to remove someone or demote them in your life than simply physically harming them. There's all sorts of ways. And we do it all of the time without blinking an eye. There are all sorts of ways that we delete people from our lives. We don't have to explode in anger and and throw a spear at someone. We just give them the silent treatment. Or we engage in cold war at home. And just simply give someone the cold shoulder. Or we start talking about them behind their back with gossip. Or maybe it's more subtle than that. We just delete them as a friend on Facebook. Or unfollow them as a friend. Or unfollow them on Instagram. Or maybe we even avoid them at all costs. At church. At schools. And in our social gatherings. You see, there are all sorts of ways that we delete and remove people and want to demote them and put them in their proper place. And so here's the question. Who have you done this with? Or more present, who are you doing this with as we speak? Think about who is in your life. Think about the person that you're hypercritical of. Or the person that you're always finding fault with. And, never any, and there's never anything that they do right. Everything that they do is wrong to you. And the question is, why is that? Where is that coming from? And you know where it's coming from? My hunch is that somewhere deep down in the darkest places of your heart, you're envious of them. You want their life. And so you compare yourself to them. And you start seeing uh, that they're above you in some way. And so you've got to strike back. And instead of repenting in that moment, you start trying to remove them in some way and it kills your relationship with them. Serious question. Could it be this morning, and I know there are other reasons, okay? But could it be this morning that the unhappiness and the anxiety and the fear and the depression in your life is connected to envy? Could it be that you are so sour on life and you go through your life constantly looking at what other people have and you become envious and it takes you down and makes you sour? Friends, envy will destroy your soul. It will destroy community. And it will eventually dehumanize you. Thirdly, we need some gospel. We need Jesus 
So how do we see that in this passage? What's the cure for envy? Look at verses 1 through 5. We're going to be looking at David and Jonathan next week, but I want to highlight this, and, and we'll probably look at these verses actually again. But think about this with me. This is really amazing. Jonathan is whose son? Saul's. Think about that. So that meant who was on, supposed to be on the throne after Saul? Jonathan. It was Jonathan's throne. And so who should have been envious and jealous? Who should have hated David, hated his guts? Jonathan. And Jonathan is seeing this runt, this shepherd boy, this nobody named David take his throne. And then look at verse 1. It says, Jonathan loved David as his own soul. You know what the antidote to envy is? It's love and submission and humility. Jonathan realized that David was God's choice. And so he humbled himself and he got off the throne and he and that freed him to love David instead of envy him. Look at verse 3. He made a covenant with David. Back then you would cut a covenant and so you would cut an animal and you would separate it and you would hold hands with someone and walk through those bloody animals that had been cut as a way of saying, if I break this covenant, let what happened to the animals happen to me. So Jonathan is saying to David, I'm with you for life. You are my king. I submit to you. This is way bigger than me. And that's what's going on in verse 4. When Jonathan is stripped of all of the royal symbols. He takes off his robe and his armor and his sword as if a way, it's a way of saying, I entrust myself to you. This is your throne. He even gave him his sword, basically saying, you're the king. You can do whatever it is that you want with me. Think about that before that passes you by. Think about how hard that must have been for Jonathan to do such a thing. That was his. So what does that have to do with envy? Well, friends, if we're ever going to have envy rooted out of our lives, we have got to say with Jonathan to our David. Who is our David? Remember, the greater David, our David, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, as we see at the beginning of the New Testament. If we're ever going to root envy out of our lives, we've got to look at our David and say, the throne in my life belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. The only power in the universe that's powerful enough to root it out of our hearts is when we give up power. It's when we give up control and surrender to what God has done through Jesus, the greater David. And you might look at that and say, well, Jason, that sounds like the takeaway is just to be better. No, if the takeaway this morning is not to develop a plan for rooting out envy in your life. It's not to just get your life together. Why? Because you can't get your life together. You can't wake up tomorrow morning with envy and say, I'm just not going to be envious and jealous this week. You know how you get it out of your heart? You surrender to Jesus. And you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I have tried with everything in me to be my own king and it doesn't work. 
And so I'm going to give my life to you. And as I give my life to you, I'm going to let you love me, not as I want to be and who I want to be. I'm going to let you love me for who I am right now. And you see, when we are loved that way, envy starts to be rooted out of our lives. And you see, the difference is that you can go to this Jesus like that because Jesus is not like other evil dictators in the world. He's a good and gracious king, and you can trust him. Because you see, this greater David, Jesus, was the most unenvious person to ever live in the history of the world. And like Saul, you know what we did? We picked up the spear. And we didn't miss. We picked up the spear, and he did not escape. He did not run, but Jesus actually stayed put. And we did not nail him to a wall. We actually nailed him to a cross. And Jesus did not just risk his life for jealous and envious and insecure and ugly people like us. He gave it for insecure, envious, and jealous people like us. You see, the antidote for envy in your life is the love of Jesus. How so? Well, you see, when this love makes its way down deep into your soul and into your heart, and it becomes real to you, and you start to really believe it, you say things like this. Boy, I wish my financial situation were different. And I'm really disappointed. But it will not steal my joy. Because I am the richest person in the world because I have Jesus. He's my king. Or you say things like, boy, I really wish I looked like that person. Or I wish I had their skills and their abilities and their success. And it's so hard for me, but it will not steal my joy because that's not the source of my joy. The source of my joy is Jesus and he made me. And he gave me his gifts, my gifts and abilities. He is my king. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I really wanted that job. And I am really sad that I got passed over. But it will not steal my joy because that's not the source of my joy. And my king is in control and he has my best interest in mind. And I belong to him. I really wish everyone would like me and affirm me and validate me. But it's okay. That's not the source of my joy. Because I am precious to the only eyes in the world that really matter, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he affirms me and validates me. See how it works? See how the gospel starts to root out in your life, when we start comparing ourselves, we actually start to change and become appreciative and thankful for what God has, had, has for us and where he has us. The power of the gospel begins to push out envy and jealousy and insecurity and fill it with peace and joy and love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving uh, your life for us. Not just risking it, but for giving your life for jealous people like us. Would you reveal through your spirit envy inside of us so that we can be more like you?
come through your spirit and apply the gospel to these ugly parts of our hearts so that we might be changed and made more and more into the image of Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.